Romans chapter 12, as we get into the message tonight, can I, uh, can I say how good it is to see Lynn and Jim Heiser with us this evening? Church, that's an answer to prayer right there. Amen. And praise the Lord, Jim. Uh, we love you. We're continuing to pray for you. It's good to see you uh, feeling, feeling better enough to be here. Lynn, God bless you. It's good to see you tonight as well. It's just good to be in church tonight. Amen. It is good to be in church. Good to see each and every one of you this evening. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, familiar verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Tonight, I want to start by making the statement that following Jesus and being made more like Jesus is the process of a lifetime. This is the essence of Christianity. It is following Jesus and being like him. And might I say tonight that if you are not following Jesus and you are not growing more like him every day, you are not living a Christian life. Now this process of following Jesus, of of growing in grace, of being more like Jesus is called discipleship. And we are all called to be disciples of the Lord Jesus. Discipleship is not something that only happens for 10 or 12 weeks after you get saved and then you graduate to a life of uh, discipleship freedom. No, discipleship is what we do every day of our lives as Christians. We follow Jesus. We grow to be more like him. While growth and discipleship is a product of God's grace, it is our cooperation with God's grace in these things that enables the process to happen. When we talk about following Jesus, we often talk of our actions. When we talk about following Jesus, we often talk about our heart. But tonight, I want to look at an often overlooked aspect of discipleship, our mind. And tonight, if we could, from Romans chapter 12, and we'll really focus in on verse number 2, we're going to take and have a checkup from the neck up. Look with me at verse number 2. Would you read it in unison with me? Paul writes, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is this discipleship process, this following Jesus, this renewing our minds look like? I want to point out a couple of very practical thoughts tonight. First of all, that that if you and I are going to follow Jesus, it is going to require continual resistance. It is going to require continual resistance. Verse 2 begins with Paul telling us what? Be not conformed to this world. If we are allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world, then in essence we are allowing ourselves to be corrupted by this world. This world, church, is not our friend. And I think it's good for us to stop and to actively realize that the world that we live in is not a passive environment. Rather, 
The world we live in, the system that we are exposed to on a regular basis is actively opposed to God. The values and virtues of the world's system are in direct conflict with the values and virtues of God's word and God's will. We do not exist in a passive environment. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 15, we see the apostle write these words. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, you you cannot love the system of this world and the things in the kingdom of heaven. You cannot love uh, the, the things of this earth and God the Father. We have to choose. For all that is in the world, verse 16, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof... But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So so we have a scenario where, church, we have to choose. What is it that we are going to pursue? What is it that we are going to love? What is it that we are going to engage our life with? James 4.4 warns us even more directly about the things of this world. James writes, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not... That friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world, meaning that we are a friend of the systems and things and passions of this world, whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the what, church? Is the enemy of God. Now, those are some strong words. But here's the reality. This world desires to press you to conform to its mold. The pressure from the world is subtle and yet persistent. And it is exerted relentlessly. It's kind of like gravity. You don't even really recognize it's there, but it is always pulling on you. Chuck said, no, I recognize it's there. (laughs) Good to see you, Chuck. It's kind of like gravity. It's kind of like the tides. You ever been out and played in a body of water that had tides or, or, or currents? And, and very subtly, but very persistently, what happens? Those currents will pull on you. And if we're not careful, you know what happens? We very quickly, very quickly start to talk like the world, dress like the world, spend money like the world, parent like the world, be entertained like the world, and very Quickly, if we are not careful, we are pressed into the mold of the world and we begin to conform to the things of this world. Church, I'm going to tell you the pressure is subtle and strong and it almost unnoticeably works to bring us into compliance of thought which will then yield compliance of action. The problem is most of us don't even recognize how affected we are by the thinking of the world. The problem is most of us have been pulled on by the world to such an extent that we don't even realize. Because it's subtle. It's strong. It's persistent. To be conformed to the world, church, it takes little effort. All you need to do to be conformed to the world is immerse yourself 
in it. And the sad truth is most people who name the name of Christ immerse themselves in the world six and a half days a week and they tack Jesus on at the end. The sad truth is most Christians spend far more time watching television than they do reading God's word or going to church. It's so subtle and yet strong. And most of us don't even recognize how affected we are. To be conformed to the world, oh, it only takes a little effort. Just immerse yourself in it and it will come to pass. So if you and I are going to have a renewed mind, if we're going to follow Jesus and love Jesus and be like Jesus with all that we are, if we're going to have this checkup from the neck up, it's going to require some things. First of all, it's going to require us to have a continual resistance. The world is going to pull and pull and pull and pull, but God's word is clear that we are not to be conformed to this world. That's not all Paul says here. Read it with me. Chapter 12, verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So not only is this going to require a continual resistance, but it's also going to require from us a continual renewal. A continual renewal. Now what does renewing mean? When we are told to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Renewing means to have a complete change for the better. A a renovation, as it were. Frank mentioned uh, earlier in the service this morning that this, this summer, earlier this summer, we renovated the deck at our house. I'll show you some pictures afterwards if you want. The old deck was falling down. The old deck had boards that were broken. Careful where you stepped or you'd fall right through. So we put giant rocks over the holes and we tried to make sure the nails and screws weren't sticking up too far and, you know, had rules that you had to have shoes on, all that good stuff, right? So it was time. It was time. Sometimes it's just time, amen, to get something renewed. So we had saved up for a couple years and this past year we, we renewed, we renovated the deck. We we. T- Pour it down. We dug some holes. We put it together with Mark Heisman. He was a huge help on the project. And it was awesome. But it was, it was out with the old. And it, we needed to bring in the new. And I'm going to tell you, that's what needs to happen up here. How many of us recognize that that renewal is a perpetual ongoing process that requires overhaul and then upkeep? I got a reminder on my phone. The reminder on my phone said it is time to, to, to stain and seal something. And I'm like, oh, again? We're all ready? But it requires what? It requires sometimes overhaul. And a lot of times it requires regular maintenance and then upkeep. Can I tell you, when you got saved, a radical change occurred. You became a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 teaches us that. The Bible says there in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We have been transformed. The caterpillar has become the butterfly. We are not what we once were, amen? We're a new creature. 
Salvation brings a radical change. It makes you a new creature. But it doesn't end at salvation. No, once we are saved, then we experience a lifetime of sanctification, of growing in God's grace. And this lifetime of sanctification then brings a renewing change that enables you to more fully live out that new character and conduct each day. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so we have the radical overhaul that takes place at salvation. And then at sanctification, we see that God begins to build our lives by his grace. Now, if you've ever taken on a renovation project, you know it's a lot. Amen. I think I do one like every three years because that's about all I can take. I'm fairly obsessive compulsive. And so once I start one, I can't really sleep until it's done. And so I will work day and night. When we bought the house, when we bought the house, I'll tell you this story. It wasn't in my notes, but I'll tell you. We bought the house as a, as a foreclosure. It needed a lot of TLC, but that's basically what it needed for us to be in. It was TLC. So we closed, and then we got out of the apartment. That's another story for another time. My family actually lived with Bill and Leanne Brown while I worked on the house. I think we closed on like a, a Thursday morning. So... I actually started working on it Wednesday, but uh, we worked on it Wednesday. We were here Thursday morning. We closed. I worked all day Thursday. I worked all Thursday night. I worked all day Friday. I worked all Friday night. Didn't sleep a wink. I just worked straight through. Different men from the church came and helped. Different teenagers came and helped, but I stayed and just kept working. I worked all day Saturday. Now, Saturday night, it was Pastor Lewis's 40th and anniversary with the church. And so I had to stop for Saturday evening because we had a special service. And so I'm up here on the platform going, don't go to sleep. 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 But it was a wonderful service. So amen. Amen. And so we got through with that. And I worked most of the night Saturday night then as well. But that's just too I'm just, if I got a project, we got to get it done. And so I do a renovation project like once every three years because that's all my body can take. That's all my family can take. And it's a system. It works for us. Don't judge me. Amen. Amen. Man, if you've ever done a renovation project, you know there's a lot that goes into it. You know, sometimes it's easy to look at our own lives, to think about where we wish we were, being like Jesus, to think about sometimes where we think we should be by now, following Jesus. And sometimes in the renovation project of our lives, sometimes it's easy to look and be like, boy, oof, there's a lot going on there. Can I encourage you tonight? This thing of following Jesus, this thing of being more like Jesus, this thing of renewing our mind and having a continued and continual renewal, I want to encourage you, yeah, it's a lot. You're a lot. And uh, there's a lot of things that God has done and still doing in your life. How do you know? Because that's the case for me too. That's the case for all of us, amen? But don't get overwhelmed. Don't get overwhelmed. Sometimes it's easy to look at our lives and just feel a little bit overwhelmed. But don't. Do you know why? 
Because God is doing his work in you. You ever started a project and think, boy, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. You know, the good news about our lives is that Jesus himself has taken responsibility for leading the way, doing the work in our hearts and lives. And he's not going to fail us. Philippians 1 in verse number 6, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Philippians 1 in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. God has begun the work and God will continue to do the work in your life. So don't be overwhelmed because Jesus is the head contractor on the project. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't quit. Don't give up. You know, sometimes we fall down and we think, boy, I I fell, so I'm just going to stay here. What does Proverbs say? No, a just man falleth seven times and then stays there and has a pity party. No, a just man falleth seven times and what? Rises up again. You know, the Bible still says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love there's not an asterisk on the bottom of that saying some exclusions apply or only redeemable for so many times. No, it's a promise for God's children. No matter how many times we fall, no matter how overwhelmed we may get, no matter how hopeless we may think our situation is, don't quit. Because God will not give up on you. God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. Let me give you one other thought here. Continual renewal. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't quit. But don't be satisfied either. Can I tell you, none of us have arrived I haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. None of us have arrived. None of us are as much like Jesus as we should be. And you know what? All of us can be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today. So don't be satisfied. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 14 that even he, even he pressed towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I want to be more like Jesus each and every day until I see him face to face. Don't get overwhelmed. God's the lead contractor. He's doing the work. Don't quit. God's not going to quit. He's not going to give up. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. But don't be satisfied. We all need to work to maintain a holy dissatisfaction that I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like him. So this thing of this checkup from the neck up, number one, it takes a continual resistance. Let me ask you. Are you consciously resisting the pull of the world on your life? Are you consciously recognizing how the world wants to draw your mind away from the things of Christ? It takes a continual resistance. It also takes a continual renewal. God's going to continue to do his work, to overhaul and to upkeep. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't quit. Don't be satisfied. Look at verse number two one last time. Would you read it in unison with me one last time? And be not conformed to this world, 
But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it's going to take a continual resistance, a continual renewal, but finally tonight it's going to take a continual resolve. I'm going to tell you, church, there are no shortcuts to having a transformed life by a renewed mind. There are no shortcuts. There are no secrets. The way to be transformed by the renewing of your mind is to allow the Spirit of God to work through the Word of God in your life. I love what Jesus said. Jesus, if you want a secret, Jesus gave us the secret. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them. He, he's praying to God the Father. This is his high priestly prayer. Jesus is saying, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Bible is what directs our feet. The Bible is what equips us. The Bible is what empowers us. The Bible is what teaches and trains our heart and mind to follow and reflect Jesus more fully every day. There are no shortcuts. There are no secrets. The way to be transformed by the renewing of our mind is to allow the Spirit of God to work through the Word of God in our life. Church, the internalization and the influence of God's word has always been and always will be the path to greatest blessing in this life. In Joshua 1, in verse number 8, we see the word to the children of Israel before they entered the promised land. And they were told this, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Notice that, that these men, this nation was getting ready to go and to engage in warfare over and over and over again to conquer lands and peoples and develop a nation there in Canaan. And God did not, God did not say just follow the battle plan or do this or do that or you need to train so many weeks over here or so many push-ups and sit-ups. No, God said, do you want to be successful? Do you want to be prosperous? Do what I say. Do what I say. God's word has always been and will always will be the path to great blessing in this life. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 1, beginning in verse number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So what is the key to whatsoever he doeth shall prosper? At verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and at night, you say, well, preacher, those are great New Te uh, Old Testament passages. Well, let's look at the New Testament. James 1 and verse number 25. James says, well, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. This is the perfect law of liberty. And continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be 
blessed in his deed. We can do better than that. This man shall be blessed in his deed. I'm reminded 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 16 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Church, a renewed mind will transform your life. Because I love what it says. Go back to Romans 12 too. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order that ye may prove, demonstrate, display, and show what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Church, do you want to have a transformed life? Have a renewed mind. Have a renewed mind. The renewed, the purpose of the renewed mind allows us to prove, to discern, to display, to demonstrate the good, acceptable, pleasing, and perfect, fulfilling will of God. In other words, we might be able to say it this way. The formation of our mind by Scripture is what allows us to move forward spiritually. It is the formation of our mind by the Scriptures... That allows us to move forward spiritually. And so it takes a continual resolve. A resolve to do what? A resolve to get more Bible in my life. More scripture. More study. More searching. More surrender. You know, next year in some of our small groups, we're going to do a couple of kind of like breakout small groups on Wednesday night. Why? Because we want to take aspects of our lives, search the word of God, and we want to, we want our lives in those areas to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. So in February, I think we're going to do two, two breakout groups. We're going to do uh, servant leadership. And we're also going to do one on marriage. Why? Because we want our marriages to reflect God's word. Do you want a blessed marriage? Have a biblical marriage. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you want a blessed marriage, don't go to psychologists such and such. Go to God's word. Get a biblical marriage and you'll have a blessed marriage. Because the Bible is still the way to the blessed life. Amen? Amen. Servant leadership. Do you want your ministry and your leadership and your service to be blessed? Do it biblically. In the middle of the year, we're going to do two more sessions, kind of breakouts on Wednesday nights. We're going to do one about how to study God's Word. We're going to have that next summer, how to study God's Word. At the same time, we're also going to have how to teach God's Word. I think it'd be great for future Sunday school teachers or or even for moms and dads who want to be able to better teach God's Word to their children. Why? Because God's word, this is the path to the greatest blessing we can know in this life. Do you want to have a blessed life? Have a biblical life. So you need to learn how to study God's word. And we ought to know how to teach God's word to one another. And then next fall, we're going we're to have two more sessions. We're going to talk about how to help hurting hearts. You ever had somebody in your life who was hurting and you wished maybe you could help a little bit better than you can, than you did? We're going we're gonna to have a class on that, how to help hurting hearts. Now, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to go to all these self-help gurus and this and that. You know where we're going to go to learn how to help hurting people? You know where we're going to go? Yeah, go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. We're going to go to the Bible. 
Because this contains the best help for a hurting heart. We're also going to have a ladies class in the fall. Why are we going to have these things? Why do we have Sunday school at 9 a.m.? Because we need God's word. Because we need God's word. And so, church, we ought to resolve to get more Bible in our lives, to get more Bible in our homes, to study more, to search more, to surrender more to God's word. Because here's the problem. For all of its advantages, the modern church actually has a very shallow understanding of biblical truth. If we had to sit down and give a biblical response for why we treated our husband or wife the way we did this week, would our actions prove very biblically based? If we had to sit down and analyze our parenting this week, would our parenting be very biblically based? Or would it be, well, we did this because it was convenient in the moment? If we had to sit down and we had to say, well, the Bible teaches uh, that we, do, we should do this with our time, or, or this is my relationship with my work based on God's word, or this is, my, this is how I pick my friends based on God's word, this is how I pick my entertainment based on God's word, this is how I spend my money based on God's word. These are the words I choose to use because of these Bible verses. The reality is most of, our, most, most of the time we, we, we consider ourselves Christian and then we kind of default, by default, consider our conduct Christian. But that's a dangerous place to be. Because if we're not being intentionally biblical about how we operate in our marriage, about how we parent our children, about how we spend our money, about what we watch on TV, about what we listen to on the radio, if we're not being intentionally biblical about what we say, about how we deal with uh, uh, strained relationships, about uh, how, we, how, how we love one another, if we're not being intentionally biblical, then chances are we're being unintentionally worldly. Because remember what we talked about before. It requires continual resistance from the world against the world. If we're going to be intentionally biblical in our actions. And church, I think it would be good for us as individuals and as families to spend some time. And say, okay, what does God's word actually say about how we ought to treat one another in this house? What does God's word actually say about how I should handle my money? Whether or not not I should go into debt or do these things. What does God's word actually say my relationship with work should be? What does God's word actually say my relationship with leisure and entertainment should be? The problem is we assume that we have developed Christian habits and Christian ways of thinking. But the reality is, is if it's not intentionally biblical, it's probably more unintentionally worldly than you or I care to admit. 
And so, what do we do? Well, they recommend you go to the doctor every so often. Get a checkup. Or you say, well, I don't feel bad. Well, sometimes going to the doctor can help to reveal things before they get too bad. And so tonight, perhaps it's time simply for a checkup from the neck up. And the question is simple. Honest with yourself before God tonight, how much influence does the Bible really have on how you think and therefore on how you live. The pressure from this world is subtle, it is strong, and it is sustained. The command is clear, but the choice is ours. Are we going to be conformed to this world, or are we going to be transformed by God's word? Those are our only two options.